Hello, hello, welcome everyone. Wow, this is turning into quite a story here with Oliver Anthony. The saga continues on. We got some new details we want to update you on. And what I would just say is, look, everything, you know, when you're starting out in any industry, right, it comes with some growing pains. And I imagine these are some of them that he's experiencing. And uh, I think he's going to figure it out pretty quickly, though, and, and he's going to be a huge success. But I'll, I'll give you an update on everything that's going on. Plus, we get to talk about The big interview. Donald Trump sat down with NBC, the new host of Meet the Press. So Chuck Todd is out (laughs) Um, and and he's now replaced with uh, Kristen Welker. And she did an interview with Trump. He he got a little testy in it. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see. And he made some good points. I want to share that with you. Um, we'll talk about UAW, too, because, my gosh, for the for the president who's supposed to be the most pro-union guy of all time. Where is he on this one? I mean, this is really reflecting a lot of his weakness. Welcome to the show. Good to have you here, everyone. It's a live edition of the Trish Regan Show. Good to see so many of you. I'm going to get to your comments at the end. We are, as always, sponsored in part by LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. If you're interested in investing in gold or silver, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But first of all, I want to get straight to what Oliver Anthony is saying now amid all these allegations. So if you've been following the story Uh, You know this. If you haven't been following it, I'm going to get you up to speed. So Oliver Anthony, huge, huge, huge mega sensation. Just an incredible artist. I can't say enough good stuff about this guy. He booked a concert, apparently, with a club in Knoxville, Tennessee, called Cotton Eye Joe's. And apparently, the tickets were pretty expensive, like $99. And then they were going to charge another $200 if you wanted to meet and greet a meet and greet with Oliver Anthony. And he didn't like that. He was like, whoa, this is really, really expensive. And I really don't think tickets should ever cost more than $25. Like, why are they charging so much? The owner of Cotton Eye Joe had had a few thoughts on that um, and is alleging all kinds of things. I mean, this is like, it's like the big (laughs) brouhaha, right? Down there in Tennessee. But I'll tell you, every time I hear from this gentleman, I got to say, I'm pretty darn impressed because he really and truly seems to uh, want to be doing the right thing. Whether or not it works economically, we can discuss. But first of all, let me show you Oliver Anthony's reaction when he heard that tickets were going to cost $99 for this club in Knoxville and that the meet and greet was another 200 He just pulled out, and he was so agitated, he said. He just had to pull over, I guess, on the side of the road. I think he might have been driving. So let me share with you what he had to say right now, and, and then we can get into some of the backstory. Here we go. Up oh, or not. <laughs> we can try that again. I'm talking about, of course, Oliver Anthony, who is uh, well-known for this just incredible, incredible, incredible music. Overtime hours. Bullshit pain. Appropriate that we talk about him on a day like today. Yeah. Is the UAW Drag still confronts its issues? Away. Let me talk about the it's problem. Let me get to what the get this world's got to. Because this is people your scene. like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. Living in the new world. With an old soul These rich men north the rich men Lord knows they all just wanna have total control Wanna know 
think Wanna know what you do And they don't think you know But I know that you do Cause your dollar ain't shit And it's taxed to no end Cause a rich man Cause a rich man I had to pull off on the side of the road and make this video I'm uh my adrenaline's pumping, man. I'm pissed off right now. And don't buy Cotton Eye Joe tickets for $99 a piece. And sure as hell don't buy VIP passes for whatever price they're on. Um, I have a buddy of mine who's not a booking agent. He's a friend of mine. He's a full-time plumber. And I'm trying to hire him full-time as my booking agent. And uh, he agreed to the show, I guess, without asking for the, what the ticket prices are. Um, don't pay $100 for a ticket. That, uh, if we've got to cancel the venue and play somewhere else we will uh i didn't agree to it and i don't want you to pay it so please don't just i'm just trying to get the word out now it's i, I don't know when the event got posted but just yeah so that was uh, as i said him he, he pulled over on the side of the road he was pretty agitated he was really upset he said this shouldn't cost 99 dollars the ticket should never be more than 25 dollars, and i'll do the meet and greets for free so look i i think he's very authentic i think he's very true to his word I think he's driving some people crazy right now <laughs> because they're like, wait a second, this guy is a business, right? And they're looking at it saying, ka-ching, 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 this is an opportunity. Now, let me get into some of the backstory. In fairness, by the way, in fairness to Cotton Eye Joe's, look, they're alleging that his manager said he needs to make 130 grand or 135 grand. It was, it was a number that was up there and he needs two nights hotel room, blah, blah, blah. And so in order for them to make that work, they said they had to charge this much. He's saying, no, no, no. Like, I've never made that much on a gig, and that's not what I'm going to charge. Now, we don't know. Like, was the manager trying to build in the costs of the audio equipment or this or that or the, the manager's profit? I don't know. But my advice right now to this extraordinarily gifted artist, I mean that. I And by the way, I have, for those of you that don't know, a very long background in music. I mean, I could read piano music before I could even actually read. So I've, I've been playing piano my whole life. I'm a singer. I am a musician, um, a trained one at New England Conservatory and overseas, etc. I am telling you, this guy is good. Like really, really, really good. The trick though is you've also got to kind of be good at business. Now, you can be good at business. You don't have to make a fortune, right? But a lot of these musicians, they're pretty good at business because they figure out, okay, I got to rent the hall. I got to pay my team. I got to pay for the audio equipment. What do we charge for a ticket? And you kind of back it out from there. What I like about him is he's saying like, like I don't need to make all this money. I'm, I'm comfortable making, you know, X as long as people can come in and watch the show for 25. So we can do a little algebraic like economic equation, right? Like you're going to have to figure out how many tickets are you going to sell and what can you sell them at so that you cover your costs for everyone and yourself? Because Oliver, you got to make a little something on it too, right? I, I think this is the challenge right now. So as I understand it, some people have offered to help out, but he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. You just heard, you know, he has a friend who's a plumber, by the way. Plumbers are good business people. I will tell you that. I'm sure his friend will be able to, to pull this together pretty quickly. He's got a friend who's trying to help him out. He needs that. Other people have offered to help. He's a little reluctant, and I understand that. I think what he's got to figure out is who is the team around him that can rent the hall themselves. Forget about getting a fee. You know, that's, that's like so old-fashioned. 
you get a fee to go and perform. Why not? Because I'm telling you, Oliver Anthony's a sure thing. Like, he's going to sell out everywhere. Why not just rent the hall yourself and have your own team sell the tickets? To me, that would be in keeping with his authenticity. And then he's controlling the profit margins as opposed to the managers, the agents, the producers, the club, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he did announce that he's going to have a concert at the Knoxville Convention Center at the end of the month, I think September 29th. And he's not going to play at Cotton Eye Joe's. He said he's going to try and work it out. They're saying, hey, wait a second, we had a deal, blah, blah, blah. So they don't want to lose money on this, of course. And I'm sure he'll, he'll try to do the right thing by them. But lesson learned, right? You got to ask if you're going to say, okay, I'll just take X. You got to say, well, what is the house making on this deal? I don't think he should ever just take X. I think he should say, I own this. And I'm going to buy the venue for that night. And I'm going to make sure that we get as many people there as we possibly can at whatever I think is economically the most feasible. Right? And there you go. So a little lesson in Econ 101 for Oliver Anthony. I'm telling you, he's awesome and he's going to do great. And these are just little like growing pains that you experience in the beginning. I mean, this is like overnight sensation, right? How many people can say that their debut record beat that of Elvis or the Beatles. <laughs> Oliver Anthony can say that. And I'll tell you, you know, it's so relevant what he's talking about in this particular time, in this particular age, especially as we look at what's transpiring out there in the Midwest with the UAW and these car companies, these American car companies that haven't been paying their wages in a way that is correspondent with the inflation we see in this economy. We're going to get to that in a second, but a little bit more here on Oliver Anthony because he did a quick little interview with some media at his concert over the weekend. A free concert, by the way. A free concert. People loved it. They just, they love him. They loved this concert. It's my understanding that he stayed and greeted everyone. He must have spent hours. We'll see how long he's able to really and truly do that, right? Because it's hard. But he certainly is making the effort, which is just wonderful. And here is his response to being asked by a reporter, you know, you've touched a nerve. You really seem to be appealing to the middle-class worker. And he said, you know, it's bigger than that, actually. And he's right. Like, so many of you have written on the comments below, in from overseas places and stuff. This is kind of a worldwide sensation. He's touched a nerve all around the globe, and he notes that. Take a listen. You know, there are a lot of politicians in this country. Definitely not him. He's touched another nerve, too. (laughs) <laughs> a whole other nerve. We'll get to that. But here it represents more than just the working class. I mean, I really think that um, it just represents th- there's people deal with depression and anxiety and and misery and hopelessness no matter where they're at. They don't have to be blue collar Americans. They I mean, I've gotten messages from people in countries that I, I don't know how to pronounce, you know, like uh, it's. This is something that has touched people globally, and uh, and there's a reason for that. It's not just for one identity or one group of people. It's just it's a song for human beings in general. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I mean, you, you can't help but think about American workers and those people striking at UAW. Um, I, I have a lot to say on this because you know I'm a red-blooded American capitalist, but I also think, well, capitalism maybe 
kind of our only alternative, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, what's the alternative? You're not going to go to socialism. So it may be the best game in town, but it's not perfect, right? And increasingly over the last couple of decades, we've seen how imperfect it is. You've heard me talk about this hourglass economy where you get a lot on top, you got a lot on the bottom, and the government's doing everything to keep all those people on top really happy and keep the people on the bottom happy. And it's the middle class in the middle, right, that always gets squeezed, that's working as much as they can to to earn an honest living. Well, this is something that Oliver Anthony most definitely, most definitely hits on in this song. And and I, I played it a little for you earlier. Just Just remember those lyrics, because when he's talking about how things are really unfair and it's kind of rigged and there's so much inflation, this is exactly what's going on right now with these workers, 145,000 workers at the UAW that are asking for a raise. And you know what? I'm sorry, but like, there's inflation, okay? Inflation is bad. And the reality is their wages haven't kept up with inflation. Now, I don't like unions so much. I don't think they do the best job for their employees. I think they're overly political. I don't like unions. I, I feel like we can all sort of maybe do a better job ourselves negotiating. But, but in this particular case, I'm going to just applaud this union for catching the companies completely off guard and really showing the might of what they can do. Because the problem in today's economy is your everyday worker is getting shortchanged. Your everyday worker is not being valued in the way that that worker should. It's a capital versus labor equation, right? Capital, those with the investment, those that are pouring money into the stock, they're being rewarded. But the actual workers themselves doing the labor, they're not being properly compensated or valued. So while you have the CEO making 30 million bucks as Mary Barra is, guess what? They're lucky to make $30 an hour. The top wage is $32 an hour. Most people are making 18 to 23 right now in the auto sector at GM, Ford, Stellantis, which runs Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler. I mean, this is a problem. And you know what? This is definitely a political headache for sure for none other than the, the president who calls himself the most pro-union ever, right? This is self-declared pro-union guy, Joe Biden. He's not doing much for those unions, if you ask me. Listen to him. You know, there are a lot of politicians in this country who don't know how to say the word union. They talk about labor. They don't say union. It's union. I'm one of them. I'm proud to say union. I'm proud to be the most pro-union president, according to the experts about in American history. And, that's my, and by the way, I make no bones about that. Folks, in this labor year, let me tell you what we're celebrating. We're celebrating jobs, good-paying jobs, jobs you can raise a family on, union jobs. Okay, reality check. You may want to celebrate jobs, good-paying jobs, Joe Biden. You may think you're like the union king. But let me tell you, in your economy, under Bidenomics, union workers are some of the people that are losing out the most. Because Bidenflation is costing everyone. Apples to apples, we are up 16% from the time this guy took office, all right? That's the reality check. Have wages gone up? No. They're not getting increases in wages. The CEOs are getting 
40% increases in their wages. So the workers are coming forward and they're saying, hey, you know what? We want like 40% in four years. Now they've lowered that to 36% in their negotiations over the next four years. Hey, I mean, when inflation is going up like it has been at one point, up nearly double digits in terms of consumer prices, 9.6% was where we topped out. Now we're up 3.5%. But you think about how this like stacks, right? Like it's, it's like we're up here. And then like, even if it falls, you're still up from where you were before. That's why I say, hey, up 16% in just the last two years. So it's not unreasonable for them to want a 40% raise over the next four years because the train has left the station and I don't think they're going to get this thing under control at all in terms of inflation. So it is right for them to ask for this. And look, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I, I, don't like, I don't like unions. I've been in unions. When my first, uh, one of my first reporting gigs out in San Francisco, we had to be part of a union newsroom and I actually was the only non-union person. They made me play union wages anyway. And anyway, the whole thing was like, I'm not going to bore you with the details. But the point is, I noticed that the wages in San Francisco for reporters were not as high as other markets because, well, the union was negotiating your wages, right? You came in, first-year reporter, this is what you got. And that's not really ideal. But if the wages could be at least keeping up with inflation and affording people an opportunity to raise a family and have a nice life, then maybe you say, okay, well, you know, maybe it's worth it to pay the union dues. But they haven't done that. I mean, you think about how these workers have gotten shortchanged. I think about the years, you know, following 08, and it was like, you have to take this deal or else. All of those workers that made sacrifices in 08 you know, they're still not making any more money. There was one example. This was pretty egregious of some workers out in the Midwest at one of these plants, and they were making $15 15 years ago, and they're still making $15 an hour today. I mean, wow. So everything else is going up in price, but they're not making any more, and your argument is, well, we could send these jobs overseas, all right? But as long as you're going to keep them here, pay people. And you can talk about sending them overseas all you want. I remember looking into this years ago. There's a, a muffler company. I think it's Teneo maybe. But anyway, muffler company. And they had a plant in the Midwest, in the U.S. They had a plant overseas in China. And they were paying the workers in China literally nothing. Like, you know, maybe a dollar an hour, dollar fifty an hour, whereas they had to pay like $28 an hour plus benefits, et cetera, in the U.S. So you would think, oh, well, which is the most profitable factory. And the surprising answer, it wasn't China. No, no, no. It was the Midwestern factory here in the U.S. And the reason was they had such higher productivity because they were a more efficiently run shop than the one over in China, which had to throw out all those mufflers all the time because they weren't making them properly. Now, that doesn't last forever. At some point, China gets its act together and those jobs will be as as proficient, those workers will be as proficient as the ones in the U.S. But what do you do in this interim, right? As long as you're making cars in the U.S., as long as you're charging more money, as long as shareholders are making money hand over fist and the stock price keeps going up and your profits just in the last six months, I mean, they've made like $21 billion. You're not going to give any of that back to your workers? You don't think they're important enough? Well, this union is showing you how important they are. They said they could do this for three months 
This is bad news for Joe because you know what? The auto industry, it accounts for 3% of overall U.S. GDP. So if these guys shut down the factory for a long time, and right now it's just been shut down since, what, midnight on on Friday? So 11.59 on, on Thursday it went out. And so Friday morning, so they, they've only been out of production a little while. Like, think of the significant ripple effect of that, given that this industry accounts for such a large percentage of our economy. So Mr. Union here better pull it together. You know, there are a lot of politicians in this country who don't know how to say the word union. They talk about labor. They don't say union. It's union. I'm one of them. I'm proud to say union. I'm proud to be the most pro-union president, according to the experts about in American history. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He's saying he's the most pro-union of any president, according to the experts, in U.S. history. I'm not so sure about that. You know, because if you were, Joe, you wouldn't be taking another vacation this weekend. You'd be hightailing it out there, and you'd be having discussions, and you'd be listening to the workers. And you'd be trying to find some way to salvage this. You don't send your minions. You do this one yourself. I mean, I guarantee you, if this were Donald Trump, well, I guarantee you this. I think he, for whatever reason, understood and allowed this crisis of the American worker to resonate more with him than Joe Biden does. I mean, Joe Biden talks a good game, right? He's everyday man, whatever. And yet his son is making millions. I digress. I digress. <laughs> but in other words, he's not exactly that everyday guy. Trump, on the other hand, was very proud of not being the everyday guy, right? Very proud of his wealth. And yet ate McDonald's every day and liked, you know, hanging out with the people in ways that I don't know as Biden really necessarily enjoys or is that connected to. I'm just saying that. I also think that Trump was the first politician in many years to bring forward a lot of these issues that everyday workers in America are really feeling and experiencing. You know, it used to be you could graduate from high school or not graduate from high school in the United States of America, and you could get a job at one of these plants, at one of these factories, and it was enough, right, for you to go to work, have a couple vacations every year. Your wife could stay at home, take care of the kids, and you had two cars and the, you had two kids, a dog and a picket fence, right? Like it was the American dream. I get everybody has like a different version of whatever the American dream is. But the point is you could on just sort of pure labor, right? Your, your work ethic, your ability to show up on time every day and, and, and be at that plant, you could take care of a family and save a little for retirement. Those days are gone. These workers aren't earning enough to do that. Now, if they're married, their wife is working as well. So now you get two incomes trying to feed all this, and they're living on credit. So those vacations that they, you know, they save up for, maybe a lot of this is going on credit. Just look at the rates right now. I mean, savings rates have dwindled. Credit is way up in the U.S. again. So there's something missing. There's something really, really wrong. And that's why Oliver Anthony and his song, I think, resonates so much with people at this particular moment in time. I mean, when you consider now 145,000 people are finding that they may 
not be in work. The union says they've got money to last them three months. They'll pay them $500. It's not as much as they would otherwise get, right? But it's something. It's something. Listen here to another Oliver Anthony piece. This is, I want to go home. He, he did it again, right? Like this is like number two in the country billboard charts. But again, it's a similar theme, I think, of wanting to get back to a time when life was a whole lot more simple. And maybe we'll never fully get back there. Maybe this will accelerate the, the speed at which we transition to electric vehicles and more stuff goes overseas, et cetera. Maybe that is in the cards. But for those workers that are caught in between at this moment in time, to not be keeping up with inflation in any way, shape, or form, to not enable them to, to have you know, the, the respect, if you would, for themselves of being able to earn an honest living like this, this is really messed up. And this is under Biden's leadership and his economic plan. I just say that because I want to remind you all, and we'll get to the song in a second, but I want to remind you, that it was prior to COVID, right, during the years of the Trump administration, the economic policy that was put in place actually saw the biggest rise in median incomes for Americans than we had seen in some 50 years. So don't tell me that that was all about helping the rich. It actually didn't. You know, people who live in the Northeast they or California, they didn't benefit from Trump's tax cuts at all. In fact, they got tax hikes because suddenly they couldn't deduct their state taxes. But the middle class actually did a whole lot better. Here he is, Oliver Anthony, singing his number two hit song, I Want to Go Home. Well, if it weren't for my whole dogs and the good Lord, they'd have me strung up in the psych ward. Cause every day living in this new world is one, two, Many days to me, son, we're on the brink of the next world war, and I don't think nobody's praying no more, and I ain't saying I know it for sure. I'm just down on my knees, begging the Lord and take me home. I want to go home. He's a real talent. I mean that, a real, genuine talent. And whatever's going on, I guarantee you he's going to find his way through because the music is what matters to him. He's got to figure out the economics and make sure that, you know, <laughs> he can afford to let people come for $25. I think he'll figure it out. I, I, I have faith. I have faith. You know, who else is making a little news in the country music space? That would be this lovely lady right here. Not so lovely. Marin Morris. You know, she's had like one hit song. I guess she's had a few. Like she's gotten a few awards or whatever. There's only one song that I even like. It's, but I barely like it. It's that, uh, you know, I would be rich or something song. She's just um, not especially, like when I say he's talented, I'm not kidding. Like the words, the storyline, the melody, everything is there. With her, n none of that. Like she had a catchy tune and it actually wound up making that crossover into pop. I'm talking about again, Maren Morris, who's dumping country music. I guess she doesn't like that it's been overtaken with the likes of Oliver Anthony and Jason Aldean and all those, you know, people that, that she just doesn't 
think are, are representative of her values. So she's going to make the switch into pop. And she's doing so just as she comes up with a new album and does a splashy new article in the Los Angeles Times, in which basically she blames the downfall in country music on Trump. Here we go. Here's one of the quotes from this article. After the Trump years, people's biases were on full display. It just revealed who people really are and that they were proud to be misogynistic and racist and homophobic and transphobic. All these things were being celebrated and it was weirdly dovetailing with this hyper-masculine sort of rise in country music. I call it butt rock. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I can tell you this. The country music fans are very happy to see her go. Very, very happy. I, I completely, totally, utterly, thoroughly disagree with her entire premise. But I'm telling you, this woman is not an artist. She's not. And I say that with many years of classical conservatory training behind me. Not an artist. She's an opportunist. In fact, she's the one who's going to charge absolutely as much as she possibly can. I mean, hey, she's capitalist too. Nothing totally wrong with that. But this is not about art for her or about communicating a message. This is about an opportunity to go make a move into the pop genre where she was already starting to resonate and then to do so with the sort of blessing of, oh, she's calling country music all these names. She's saying it's this, that, and the other. And so she's just like now in the good graces of the most extreme artistic leftists out there in Hollywood who are going to be like, well, we have to help her. So it was actually a very calculated, if you think about it, very deliberate, I think, move. You, you contrast that again with the guy who's just talking about how he, he wants people to feel like they have an opportunity, right, in life and in this world. And so that is the contrast. And I would just say, good riddance. Let's get more Oliver Anthony's, more authentic, genuine people that believe in the values they're singing about, that also are talented musicians and forget about the Morrises of the world. Let, let the pop world have her. Good riddance. All right, speaking of Donald Trump, as Marin Morris just was, um, he just did a big interview. Donald Trump did a big interview on NBC, and it was a big deal because it was the first time this new anchor took over for Meet the Press. Kind of interesting, right, that she chose to interview Donald Trump. I guess she's a capitalist, too. She knows that she's going to get better ratings. But it's one of those things, you know, it's always touchy in these news organizations. Oh, you're going to interview Trump. Is she going to be tough enough? Well, she asked him a few things, and he let her have it on some of them. We're going to get to it in a minute. But before I do, I want to set the stage because just know how messed up the whole world is right now. I mean, between the White House trying to tell us that impeachment is nothing but a, a bunch of misinformation, <laughs> even, though, even though Hunter Biden did actually already tell us that he didn't bother to play, pay some $2 million in taxes, even though he already did admit to um, that, that gun charge thing. Like, that was on record, right? And we also know for a fact that he never registered as a foreign agent, as he should have in order to collect all that money from overseas. And we're talking lots of money, right? Coming in from China, coming in from Romania coming in from Ukraine, of course. You're looking at Rosemont Seneca. These are bank records. Burisma Holdings into Rosemont Seneca. There's that FD-1023, which, again, the White House wants you to think is misinformation. The FD-1023, it was an interview 
done with an Obama-era source, highly credible, confidential human source, and this particular source said that the CEO and the CFO of Burisma told the source that Biden himself had helped negotiate the sort of protection money, my words, not theirs, uh, and there's like some $5 million each involved. So wouldn't you think you kind of want to like chase that one down and maybe see if there's any there there, given that this was a highly credible source? I mean, you went all after the dossier, right? Well, no, they just want you to think that it's a bunch of misinformation. And they want to make sure that Donald Trump is not on the ballot no matter what. Here is a lawyer, law scholar, extremely liberal at Harvard, <laughs> that great school, you know, where everybody at Bud Light went. So he, he's, he's a big deal law professor at Harvard University, and he's come up with what he believes is a very clever way and he thinks is a legitimate way to ensure that Donald Trump is not on the ballot in 2024. I got to tell you, it's completely bogus. We'll talk about why. But first, hear Professor Larry Tribe describe how you can make sure that Donald Trump definitely doesn't win the presidency. Listen. How do you view these particular efforts in Colorado and Minnesota to disqualify Trump? Eamon, thanks for having me back. I think these lawsuits are very carefully and thoughtfully designed. They amass a great deal of evidence that what happened, not just on January 6th, but in the lead up to it with fake electoral slates and all the rest, uh, was an insurrection, as the Constitution uses that term, and that Donald Trump was at the center of that insurrection against the Constitution of the United States and gave it aid or comfort. That does not mean that he gets punished. That would depend on whether he is prosecuted for insurrection and indicted or whether the pending indictments stick. This is not a punishment. And when you said he violated Section 3, that's not quite the way some people would put it. Some people would say... Section 3, like the requirement that you not run a third time after you've been president twice, or like the requirement that you be old enough and a natural-born citizen, is just an eligibility requirement. Mm -hmm. And when Secretary of State Benson of Michigan said she thinks the courts should decide it, that's really the theory of these lawsuits. They proceed by suing the Secretary of State because under the laws of Colorado and Minnesota, it is that secretary's responsibility not to let someone on the ballot if they're ineligible to hold the office. But we know and, quite and His whole entire theory is that Trump is ineligible to hold the office because he's guilty of an insurrection. <laughs> Except that, of course, he's not been proven guilty of an insurrection. In fact, he's not even been indicted. For an insurrection. I mean, I I'm sorry. They got 91 counts against the guy in four different lawsuits, two federal, two state. And not one count is for an insurrection. So how does this lawyer, this is like wacky, wacky. I mean, we know the, you know, it's Harvard, whatever. We know like Larry Scheib, super liberal, whatever. Extremist, frankly, liberal. We know it's wacky, but what's frightening is how willing some people are to take this all the way. 
And that's what's going to put us into a constitutional crisis. That is what indeed is what's truly frightening. Because Larry Tribe wants politicians in various states to be able to decide whether or not that was an insurrection or not, as opposed to a judge, a jury. And again, reminder, the former president has not been charged with that, like even charged in four different cases. And so he, he's taken upon himself. OK, well, we can just say, well, we didn't like him. We didn't like what he did. He didn't move fast enough, whatever. He didn't give the kind of speech we wanted. Therefore, he's guilty of insurrection. He's not allowed to run, period. And we're going we're gonna to just clog up the courts until we can really just ensure one way or another he doesn't get onto these ballots. I mean, this is frightening stuff, people. This is frightening stuff. And do not believe, like Joe Biden's actually trying to say, it's the Republicans that are trying to tear this country down and all the freedoms we know and associate with it. Listen to him trying to say that it's Republicans that are putting democracy at risk. No, it's people like the Secretary of State in Colorado and Michigan that are trying to follow this crazy law professor's advice. For all the time they spend attacking me and my plan, here's what they never do. They never talk about what they want to do. No, no. Think about it. They tell you what they're against. What are they for? It's like they want to keep it a secret. I don't blame them. Well, today I'm going to, I'm going to talk about their plans. Look. We're going to talk about the MAGA Republican economic plan. And by the way, this is not your father's Republican Party. This is a different deal, all kidding aside. We've all worked with Republicans on the other side over our careers and become good friends, honest, decent people. Yeah, 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 Disagree yeah, yeah, like hell you with know them. What? No, but you, were, you're always bad to Republicans. It just so happened that Republicans are now actually standing up to you. And that's actually their line, Joe. <laughs> they say, it's not your father's Democrat Party in the right. Because this is a Democrat Party that really seems to be rooted in some socialist, dare I say, communist roots. Again, you're talking to somebody who's now arguing, I'm arguing for the union workers to be paid more. And what's crazy is that Mr. Pro-Union, he's not out there actually trying to make sure that these union workers be paid more. I don't think it's fair that the CEO is making such an exorbitant amount more, that the CEOs make 40% more and no one's willing to pay the workers who make the actual product more or at least allow them to keep up with Joe Biden's damn inflation? I mean, Joe, you created this mess, okay? We didn't have inflation like this until you, sir. And so for somebody who says they're so pro-union, and cares about the working class. I mean, I'm sorry. You, you could have you fooled me. You could have fooled me. As for what the Republicans want, you know what they want? They want lower taxes so that they have more opportunity to spend money in ways that they want as opposed to ways that you want, right? We don't want to give all our money to you. That's a fundamental difference. And as for actual freedom and elections, I mean, this is scary stuff, folks. What Larry Tribe was talking about there is actually really, really, really alarming. And yet, none of it should really surprise you, right? Because do not forget, and I'm going to play this over and over again for you from time to time. This is from August of 2020, before the election in November. Do not forget what Hillary Clinton 
was advising the Democrats to do if it looked like Joe Biden wasn't going to win. You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Mm. You heard that, right? And so when Larry Tribe starts talking about, you know, the, the fake electoral slates, hello, like this is what they did in the 60s with, with, with Kennedy and in Hawaii. Like they've done it themselves. They had to do it in Florida. Remember the hanging chads and they had another whole slate of electors. I mean, it's actually fairly common practice if you think that the election is in jeopardy in any way to have that alternate slate of electors. So I do think he's way out over his skis and it's going to take a lot of crazy intellectual gymnastics to ever try to get to this whole idea of insurrection, especially when 91 counts and not one count of insurrection is even in there. So it's been looked at. They've decided they can't do it. And yet Larry Tribe is trying to tell these secretaries of state. So you are going to this is like the breakdown, folks. I mean, I'm sorry, like it's lasted. It's lasted us well, right? For how long? And, and now it's all coming undone. And we're doing this to ourselves. They're doing it. I mean, Joe Biden, for him to sit there and suggest that this is the other side. I mean, the other side's not perfect either. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's politics. That's why I hate politics. They're all, you know, a bunch of scumbags, frankly. I'm sorry. Now I'm going to get, like, annoyed. But they are. And I think what was welcomed about Donald Trump was he was the outsider coming in. He knew they were all scumbags. He knew that the media was all in on it. I mean, he'd known this. He'd known this really for some time. I mean, you can go back. I played you a clip the other day of Donald Trump back in 1990 telling Barbara Walters, like, the media was really, really biased, and they had their own agenda. This is back when he was a Democrat, for goodness sakes. Listen. Well, the new book is entitled Surviving at the Top. There are many people who would say failing at the top. Well, I think what the press uh, has done is taken a situation where they see something and blown it to kingdom come. I've never seen anything like it. Whether it's a marriage, by the way, or whether it's financial, I've never seen press reporting as I have with regard to me. And I hope the general public understands how inherently dishonest the press in this country is. Whoa, that was like a real precursor, right? Yeah, he, he called it. He called it back then and, and he's still calling it. And there is a dishonesty in the press. And, um, you know, NBC, frankly, um, and, and I used to work there. They have their bias. By the way, everybody has their bias. OK, like just to be fair, I mean, Fox, obviously, well, we thought Fox had a bias. I don't know. That might be in uh, it might be in question. It might be that it was just fake. All along, right? Like, I don't even know if I, I believe the conservative bias these days over at Fox. But I think everybody has a bias. You can't not have some opinion on something, right? I mean, you should, frankly. I, I mean, and, and then as a journalist, you know, if you're doing straight news, you try and say, okay, I'm going to put my opinion away, and here are the facts. But everything colors that. Even just your intonation, 
what words you emphasize, what little factoids you choose to highlight. I mean, I do think that everybody's bias comes through. It just so happens, especially coming out of the Vietnam time and, you know, Nixon and all of that, right? You, you had a whole generation of people that were extremely liberal that were in the media. And then that's been continued and continued and continued to the point where now it's just so excessive and their bias is so, so obvious that I think the rest of the world is just saying, hey, wait a second. And by the way, you have the opportunity now. I got to put up my little subscribe thing here. Uh, we, I, I, If you have not subscribed, do me that favor. Do make sure that you subscribe to this show. It's actually really, really important. There's a subscribe button right down there. And uh, we're here every day. We're live. And this is critical right now. You have that opportunity, right? You can go and seek out the news sources that you want. And I encourage you to seek out everyone. I mean, I look at it all. I look at... Yeah, the left, the right, and everything in between, because I want to understand and I want to absorb and I want to understand everybody's biases, by the way, because that's obviously critical. That's essential. But just know that Meet the Press has historically had a very liberal bias. They put Kristen Walker in to take over for Chuck Todd. Chuck, I guess, finally decided, you know what, I'm going to go on my merry way. We wish him well. And this woman um, took over. And, you know, I, I don't know. I want you to see it. I mean, this first question I'm going to play for you, I actually thought this was a decent question and one that I myself would have asked because I don't know how, I mean, I've asked him this before, like, how does he sleep at night with all the pressure that Donald Trump has on him? I mean, most people would kind of like, kind of fall apart, right? Like, you have that much pressure on you, and yet you get up every day and you're out there ready and and willing to fight again, and that's him. So she did ask that question. I I think it was fair and it was worthwhile. The next one gets a little dicey, but let's start with good stuff. I just want to hear from you on this. I want to know what's in your head. When you go to bed at night, do you worry about going to jail? No, I don't really. I don't even think about it. I'm built a little differently, I guess, because I have had people come up to me and say, how do you do it, sir? How do you do it? Uh, I don't even think about it. Uh, These are corrupt people that I'm dealing with. They're destroying our country. I don't even think about it. All I think about is making the country great, making America great. Look, these are political, these are banana republic indictments. These are third world indictments. The president of the United States sees how we're doing. We have a movement, the likes of which has never happened in this country before. And you see it with the polls. I mean, I'm up on these people by 60 points and 59 points. I don't mean I'm at 59. I'm leading them by 59. You almost say, like, why are they campaigning? Asa Hutchinson, he's at zero. Christie's at two. Other ones are at one. Uh, DeSanctimonious is at nine. I just see a poll coming. I mean, I'm leading him by 60 points. Mr. President. You say, why are they doing it? But here's what they did. They saw this happening. And he went to the Attorney General of the United States, and he told him, indict Trump. There's just no evidence of that, oh, Mr. What, President. You mean but let's, let's stay on track. Look the lies want, he's Mr. Told. President, I want to talk Kristen, about wait a minute. Wait, wait. Could I say one thing? It's great. It's great. You know, look, she she went into the lion's den, and, and they had some more commotion. He kind of, he, he just kind of let her really have it in that he had his his viewpoint. The difference between, say, Donald Trump and so many other politicians is they will get their henchmen to do the dirty work behind the scenes. I mean, consider what's going on with the White House right now. The White House counsel, that guy, what's his name, Sams, was out there. He issued a letter to all the networks and all these journalists saying, this is 
disinformation, misinformation. You can't report on this impeachment thing. And so then everybody's like, okay, yes, sir. And everybody on CNN is like, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. I'm sorry, I've seen the evidence. We can talk about that in a minute. I have seen the bank records. And I don't care. The fact that his son was doing what he was doing while his dad was vice president, while, for goodness sakes, his dad's boss, the president, Barack Obama himself, said, hey, no lobbying. No family members are allowed to lobby. And what did he do? He did it anyway, and he didn't even bother registering, didn't even bother paying his taxes. I mean, this is a bad guy. And Joe's calling his son and calling into client meetings, etc. And you want to tell me? That there's no there there, we have every right to investigate that. So don't tell me there's no evidence, Mr. White House counsel. I mean, gosh, talking about trying to control the media. That's what they're trying to do. So the difference is Joe's not doing that. No, no, no. He's got his henchmen out there doing it. Trump's problem is he just does it. Like he's like they're telling the media straight to their face. Oh, you're awful. You're awful. You're awful. And it's just done in, shall we say, a slicker, more sophisticated, more ruthless way by people that were in the Obama administration and now in the Biden administration. So they're going behind the scenes. I mean, there's a a court case right now. It's actually in the appeals court. The appeals court decided that the Biden administration had totally, totally violated our First Amendment rights by going to companies and saying, you can't report on this Hunter Biden laptop, which, by the way, turned out to all be true. And they did this even when he was already in office. So he'd already been elected and they were using that power. They were using it. So Trump is different. He doesn't use the power that I've seen in that way. Instead, he just calls the media out to their face. And they really don't like that. I mean, it's entertaining TV for the rest of us right here. Watch this. I want to know who you called on that day. Nancy Pelosi. Why would I tell you that? Listen, Nancy Pelosi was in charge of security. She turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't turn down the soldiers, you wouldn't have had January 6th. Did you call military or law enforcement? What? Did you call military or law enforcement at the moment the Capitol was under attack? I'm not going to tell you anything. Let me put it this way. I behaved so well... I did such a good job. Nancy Pelosi turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't do that. But and now Nancy I understand, Pelosi doesn't have the I understand that, that the you police have testified against chief, Listen to me, Kristen. Listen to me. I understand that the police testified against her, the chief very strongly against mm-hmm. her, Capitol Police, great people. They testified against her and they burned all the evidence. Okay, they burned all the evidence. They destroyed all the evidence about Nancy Pelosi. What do you say to people who wonder why you, you as commander in chief, you have authorities that Nancy Pelosi doesn't have as commander in chief. No, no, she has authority over the Capitol. Why didn't you send help in that moment, though? Uh, Frankly, just so you understand, I assume that she took care of it. She turned down. So when you realized that that the National Guard wasn't coming? Well, you you don't realize anything until quite a while. National Guard not coming. I asked, I asked it to be there three days in advance, and she turned it down. She says that that request was never officially made. Oh, just stop so it. you know. L- let, let me just tell you. Let me ask you the about mayor pardons, of D- let Mr. Me President. The mayor of D.C. gave us a letter saying that she turns it down. Okay, we have it. Nancy Pelosi also was asked, and she turned it down. The police commissioner. I'm talking of about Capitol the day police, of Wait a minute. Yeah. Capitol Police said that he wanted it, and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't accept it. She's responsible for January Let's, 6th. Mr. President. Nancy Pelosi's responsible. Mr. President, the you're the president, though. You have, to interview you have authorities that no one else has as the commander-in-chief. Do you think you showed leadership on that? Yes, day? absolutely, I did. Okay. So 
Wow. Let me back up for a second. So Nancy Pelosi knew that there was danger. They were also very aware because some of the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, things could get out of hand. They had seen that before. And they didn't want to look like apparently they were cracking down too much on these protesters. That that's the 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 word on the street anyway. This is this is her side of the story. So perhaps that's why she didn't actually do more to secure the Capitol. Or or perhaps perhaps Oh, I'm just going to go out on a limb. Perhaps perhaps she knew this had the potential to turn into something. I don't know. But I do think it's quite peculiar that she gets a readout from intelligence saying that this could be really bad. And then instead of, like, taking the necessary precautions, her first call is to her daughter, who happens to be a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. That, that was her first call. This is who she brought with her. I mean, by the way, like if it's going to be that dangerous, don't you think you want to like protect your family, keep them at home? No, 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 no. She made sure that she had some cameras in there, cameras that she controlled. She didn't invite Kristen and her crew over at NBC or Chuck Todd and his crew. She didn't invite ABC News or CBS. I'm sure she has friends in all these news organizations. No, she actually brought her daughter in who then turned around and sold the footage to CNN and they presented it like they had it as an exclusive. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. Watch and do not forget because this is the footage you saw over and over and over and over again. This is what they played in the trial and everything. This is what you saw. At some point, reporters stopped saying in footage shot by Alexandra Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's filmmaker daughter. They just stopped saying that. So the images that you saw they were curated by the daughter of the Speaker of the House who clearly has her own bias. Does she not? Again, where were the independent journalists? Here we go. Ever before seen footage. Are How Speaker Nancy Pelosi shown fleeing the U.S. Capitol as it was under attack on January 6th. The videos captured by her daughter. Alexandra Pelosi, a documentary filmmaker. We have got to finish the proceedings. She provided some of her footage to the January 6th Select Committee, who played clips in their hearing Thursday. Okay, okay. So you see, Nancy Pelosi was able to show all the footage that she wanted. She was able to take center stage. Hey, take a look again. Look, look over here. Now, right there. I want you to look right here. Look at Look at who's saying that this is their exclusive. This cracks me up. So you think it's independent, right? You think it's CNN's video? No, 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 no. This Never is Alexander's video. Footage. See that? Right there, the exclusive right here. Yes, yes, yes. My shot. Speaker Nancy Pelosi you can see that CNN is telling us it's their exclusive. I mean, come on. This is wrong. It is so blatantly wrong. It's just as wrong as... As, as, as Junior getting 83K a month from Burisma while his dad is vice president. This is wrong. And nobody calls that out, least of all CNN, which was all too happy to gobble up the footage and present it as though it was their own. That is messed up, ladies and gentlemen. And it just keeps getting uglier and uglier. A lot going on. A lot at stake right now. And I think it's really critical and really important that we remember that. I think that we need to be skeptics always. When you see that Hillary Clinton was willing in 2020 to basically do whatever it took to make sure 
that the Democrats won, but it's not okay for the other side to do that. I find that a little peculiar. I find that very peculiar. I mean, for some reason, it was fine for Stacey Abrams down in Georgia when she didn't win. The New York Times did a gigantic puff piece titled, Why Stacey Abrams is Saying She Still Won. (sighs) So it's fine for Stacey. She can do that, and she's going to be praised. In fact, they're like asking her a bunch of puff questions. It's nauseating to read this thing. You owe me. You owe me. You got to subscribe just because I read this for you, okay? So they're asking reporters like, oh, you know, asking about her dating life. Oh, it must be so hard to date because you're Stacey Abrams, and you could be the next president. I mean, they're fawning, 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 fawning. This is a woman who's insisting that she won. I mean, we got a double standard going on and it's a little bit scary. I realize you guys don't like Donald Trump and I realize he does a lot of things that are just not in keeping with the system and the bureaucracy. You know, wasn't he the one that came out and said when asked directly by a reporter whether or not there was any intelligence gathering that suggested coronavirus could have come from Wuhan, China and that lab over there? And he admitted that, yes, he had seen some intelligence. I mean, he just, they went bonkers on him, totally bonkers. And that was it. Like, that totally sealed his fate. He was totally done. And now what do we learn? Oh, here's Science Journal right here. CIA bribed its own COVID-19 origin team to reject lab leak theory. Anonymous whistleblower claims, I should point out, the CIA vehemently denies that, vehemently denies that. But... It's just, it's becoming too much. It's like every single time they tell us something, it turns out they are so dead wrong. They tell us something, this is misinformation, misinformation, and it turns out to be right. And then the stuff that they say is right is misinformation. Like the Trump dirty dossier. I mean, I read it and I knew immediately It was not real. It didn't read like an Intel document. It read like the National Enquirer, which told me this is probably some kind of opposition research. I mean, literally, that was my reaction just reading it. Intuitive reaction. How does nobody at the FBI have an intuitive reaction to something, especially when the guy who actually wrote it? Huh, this is great. So, you know, like it went through many, many layers. There was the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, that contracted Perkins Coy, and then Perkins Coy got that group that used to be uh, at the Wall Street Journal, investigative journalist group, and they hired Christopher Steele, who was the ex-spy from, from British spy, right, who had covered Russia, and then he goes out and hires a, a Russian-American guy who our own FBI suspected of being a Russian spy. So how do you like that? And that was what they went with, ladies and gentlemen, is total gospel truth. I mean, This is how disgusting it has become, and it has left Americans in the position where we're like, whoa, whoa, we don't know what to believe. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I mean, for God's sakes, this president keeps telling us he's fixing the economy. You tell that to those workers out there in Michigan right now, where they're just asking for an honest raise, for goodness sakes. Yeah, Mr. Pro-Union, you got inflation up 16% from the time you start. All the more reason, if you have not gone to our show sponsor, Legacy Precious Metals site, you, you might want to take a look. You might want to think about how you diversify. A lot of different ways to do that. A lot of people look at gold as one of them in an inflationary environment. So it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can call them. 
they are wonderful. They can walk you through everything. Not very high pressure sales stuff. They're just, they're pretty authentic folks. So uh, 1-866-589-0560 is their number. Of course, you're welcome to use my name. They are friends and I, I know they'll take good care of you. Anyway, one 589 And we do appreciate all their help here on this show, helping to sponsor this program. But let me show you, when the White House is telling us you get no proof, I just want to remind you of these nifty little financial records. And um, it, it, there's a lot of money going through this stuff right over to Rosemont Seneca. You got stuff coming from all over the world. You got a Porsche that comes in after daddy says hello after a conference call. Wow, I mean, Hunter gets a new Porsche. This is a sweet gig. You get a guy bringing in diamonds. Gave him a diamond in Florida. They went to dinner. This was the Chinese billionaire who ran an energy company. Interesting how many energy companies, right, were somehow involved. Funny, because, you know, here we are as a country trying to get off of energy, and yet Joe Biden, his son was out there lobbying for lots of energy companies, natural gas companies, traditional energy companies. These are not... These are not uh, green places with green ideas. But I do want to point out, this is this great quote. Hunter Biden telling The New Yorker in 2019 about his father. This is like like a marketing piece. When you hear this quote, think about it. It read, Hunter tells the reporter, I'm like his security blanket. I don't tell the staff what to do. I'm not there giving directions or orders. I shake everybody's hands. And then I tell him to close his eyes on the bus. I can say things to him that nobody else can. (laughs) It's like, okay, you're some emerging market country somewhere in the world, right? With like oligarchs and the whole nine yards. And you're like, oh, how do we get in at the White House? Well, Hunter's for sale. And apparently, according to the New Yorker, I can say things to him that nobody else can. I mean, wow. You know, and his dad was going to run for president and everybody knew it. This is messed up. It's just messed up. And, and, and don't let anybody try and convince you otherwise. Anyway, just a reminder, please make sure you subscribe. I'm going to be back here tomorrow. We're going to have much more news. Anyway, go Oliver Anthony. This guy is a real talent, a real, real talent. And we're going to see a lot more from him. And you know what? We may uh, all be able to actually, he's, he's going to keep those prices down. He's doing his part, I guess, to combat inflation. I want to just leave you a little bit with his song as we close out here. Um, really just terrific, terrific artist. Fantastic stuff. All right. Well, we'll have to wait for that till tomorrow. Love seeing you guys very quickly. Um, oh, actually, I do want to actually just... Uh, Make sure that I do get to say hi to some of my few favorite people so long as we're here. This is always uh, this is always great when I can actually communicate so directly with you. It's a very special thing, really. Angela, thank you. Willie and Cordes, you are so faithful, Willie. I got to say that. I really appreciate that. You're always here. I love it. Um, oh, Charles. Charles is here. Is that the real Charles? I'm going to ask him right here. Is this the real Charles from... Uh, Legacy Precious Metals, if so, thank you, Charles. We're going to have you on the show. I think it's next week. Charles is the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. And as I told you, just a terrific company, and we're thrilled to have them as a sponsor of this program. It's really, really pretty special. Um, And, of course, you know, (laughs) inflation, as I said, through the roof. But Charles comes on a lot. I I think that's him or it's somebody with his name. But um, good to see all of you guys. Anyway, Maxwell, thank you, Vic. Thank you. Uh, we, We got a lot. A lot happening, and it's just critical that you subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, do that. Go over to the podcast as well to 
Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show there. I love having you here. Yes, it is. All right, Charles. <laughs> it's the real one. So Charles Thorngren, everyone, he's on the live chat. He is one of the sponsors of this program. We love him. LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. That is too funny. He, uh, I think he feels very similarly to us on a whole lot of these issues. So you share that in common with him. I encourage you, um, you know, even, you know, since he's here, if you guys have any questions, even in the chat below, um, even if it's not live here, but you can go in the comments below and maybe when Charles is on next time, we can answer some of those directly so that uh, he can see your questions. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. Anyway, love seeing all of you. We'll talk again tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone.